Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Matthew 5, 1-12 Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you for your word, um, and we thank you that um, your words are, are very, much, very much more sufficient um, and, and authoritative um, and good um, than man's words. Um, we, un, we, we admit and we confess, Lord, that it, is, that it is oftentimes really difficult for our limited minds to understand, um, but that is not because your word is unclear. It is not because your word is confusing. Um, you have given us your word, and by the presence of your spirit, we can understand what your word is saying, um, and we can know what your will for our life is. Um, and so, Lord, we just proclaim um, that that is an act of, act of grace and an act of goodness and mercy, um, that you have not so hidden yourself from us that uh, we're left wondering, um, but that we we have confidence um, in what your will for our lives um, is. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us understand. We, uh, we acknowledge that today's text is one of those that, um, that doesn't, doesn't just roll off our tongue, uh, isn't one of those that, that's, that's maybe our default posture, um, but, uh, Lord, we know that what you teach um, and what you want us to know here is good. Um, it is for our good. Um, and it is for our joy. Um, and so help us, Lord, to understand. We need your help in obeying your word. Um, and I just pray that you would make it clear. Uh, we love you, and we are grateful for what you have called us to in this place today. Uh, may we submit ourselves to you. May we love one another well. In your name, amen. You may be seated. All right, uh, we're gonna read this text uh, together, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. If you've been with us long, you know um, that my strongest encouragement to you um, is, to, is to just have something in front of you, um, a, a, a Bible um, or your device. I've heard some people say, um, open your Bible or turn it on. doesn't really matter. You can do either one. Uh, but as long as you're able to follow along, um, I encourage you always to weigh my words or anyone who's up here against the words of Scripture. Uh, go home, study it for yourself. Um, and and let, let the scripture be primarily what uh, forms your, your heart and your mind. Um, and then thank God that he has given um, people 
I'm not telling you to thank God for me, but the, the Lord, it's in his good design that he's given people in the church to help us um, to, to just dig in, okay? I'm imperfect, but I'm grateful to, to be in this space. And so Matthew chapter five, verses 10 through 12, we're gonna read that again. We'll probably read it a couple more times this morning as well. Uh, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Some of you are waiting for me to say this is the most important of the Beatitudes, right? Um, it is. Um, I can say that because it's today's text. It's, what we're, it's where we're at today. Um, and it is also where Jesus wraps up um, this section of his sermon. His sermon goes on. Uh, if you're like, wow, Jesus preached 12 verses. No, he preaches a few chapters here. And so um, this, is, this is the end. Really, verse 10 um, is what is believed to be the, the bookend um, to the Beatitudes. And then he expounds a little bit in verse 11 and 12. And so verse 10 um, is... is is, is, is understood to be the way that he closes out the Beatitudes. And if you notice, the way that he closes verse 10, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the same way that verse um, number three ends at the beginning of the Beatitudes. And so that's some people's observation that, that maybe this is the, the, the formal bookend to the Beatitudes. And so that's where we'll be today as well as um, where Jesus goes. But, but here's what's important to see, and here's what's important to understand. Um, Jesus states something here in these three verses, particularly in verse 10. He states something here that the disciples will very soon and very personally encounter for themselves. Um, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there's the kingdom of heaven. And then he essentially, what seems like, we'll talk about this in a little bit, what seems like says it again. And so what we need to understand is that there are folks in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to who very soon and very personally will see, oh, Jesus knows what he was talking about because they begin to experience it. We won't get much into it today, but, but the extent and the impact of the persecution that the apostles and the early church experienced was easily unlike anything that has been experienced since or, or before then. Um, the, 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 the level and the impact that the persecution had on what was a, a relatively small group of people who followed Jesus. So imagine the gospel or, or Christianity not being yet this, this global phenom- phenomenon as far as just geography and it being somewhat limited to a a, a small geographical area. And so the impact that any persecution would have had would have been felt very, very deeply and very, very personally. And so here's the the beauty of it, though. Here's the beauty and, and what feels to us like the irony, but it's not irony. The beauty of it is that it is actually persecution that causes the gospel to reach as the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, we, we see that. I'm gonna give you some evidence of that. In fact, let me show you one very interesting thing. This is all for free. I'm gonna show you one interesting thing and then we'll get to the text, but it's establishing something that's very important. Turn with me to Acts chapter one, verse eight. 
Acts 1.8. If you're in those Bibles in front of you, that's on page 909. Acts 1.8 says this. This is following the resurrection of Jesus. This is as Jesus is ascending. He, he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, go to Acts chapter eight, verse one, the, kind of the, the opposite of one eight. Go to eight one. I, God is good and he is sovereign and I think that there's something to the placement of this. So that's one eight. Look at Acts eight one. This is following the persecution, the execution of Stephen. And this is what 8.1 says. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You guys, did y'all catch what happened there? Jesus says in 1.8, you will be my witnesses in these places. And then in 8.1, what causes these people to go into these places is what? Persecution. It's, it's, it's persecution. So in Acts 1.8, Jesus is essentially, what I think, Jesus is essentially giving a, a second great commission. It's almost like a, he gives a, his great commission at the end of Matthew. And then here in Acts 1.8, he basically just says it again. He says it to his people. And so the omniscient, all-knowing, resurrected Jesus, at this time he's resurrected, like people know he's the Lord. He states what will happen in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. And in his mind, he not only knows that Acts 1.8 will happen, he also knows how Acts 1.8 will happen. That a great persecution will come over the church and persecution will not stop the gospel. It will only further it. Persecution will not stop it. It will only further the gospel. That's just a really interesting thing, isn't it? Acts 1.8, you'll be all witnesses. Acts 8.1, and they were dispersed into all these places because of what they were enduring. And so we see all throughout the New Testament, in the early church, throughout the teachings of Paul, throughout the teachings of Peter, and into the vision of John and Revelation, that the gospel goes forward not only in spite of persecution, but persecution throughout the scriptures, is the vehicle that God will accomplish his mission in the world. And so persecution in no way thwarts what, what God's mission in the world. And so I say all of that to say this. Let's kind of come back to where we are today. I say all that to say this, that what Jesus teaches here in Matthew chapter five on the topic of persecution is vital. It's extremely vital. And Jesus is not just teaching this in passing. He's teaching this, again, because these disciples will very soon and very personally experience what he's teaching. And so it's vital. We have to understand what Jesus is saying here, and we have to take it, we have to take it for what it says. And so, again, what he, what he states there is going to be encountered by these people. And so it would be easy today to get into all the church history, um, which, by the way, I'm a, I'm a like, if, if you need book recommendations, I would recommend books on church history. Just go, go read some books on church history. See how the gospel has, has advanced through the ages, has advanced through the generation and the centuries and the millennium. And so we ought to do that. But let's just kind of hone in on Matthew 5, 10 through 12 today because what Jesus says here on its own, 
What Jesus says here on its own is incredibly profound, and it can, it can only make sense to us within the context of what life is like within a kingdom whose ruler is Jesus. You, you, do you hear, what, you hear what I'm saying? Like, what Jesus is saying here does not make sense to our natural minds, does it? That you are blessed when you're persecuted. It's like, hang on, no, if I'm seeking a, 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 a flourishing life or my, my best life now, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying there, I'm not gonna say it. My best life now, I'm not seeking persecution. I'm seeking what is most prosperous and what is most easy and convenient. And so this only makes sense within the context of what Jesus is saying. And in no other context can what Jesus says here possibly begin to make sense. And so it's within the context not only of the kingdom, which we've established that already, that, that Jesus is the king of a kingdom, and he's saying this is what life, this is what citizenship in this kingdom looks like. And so it's not only the context of the kingdom in general, but the context of, of the Beatitudes, I think. We have to read this in the, in the context of the Beatitudes, which is why each week when we have our sermon reading, we read all the Beatitudes every time because we shouldn't separate them. We shouldn't distinguish between them. And so let's read again, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so this is a passage that I think gets misunderstood and lost oftentimes outside of its context. Like you've probably heard people quote this verse before. Hey, bless her when you're persecuted. Bless her when you're, per- when you're persecuted. But it's also complicated for our limited minds to understand because of, because of how much outrage we are fed literally on a daily continual basis, right? I mean, some of the weight of what Jesus is saying here is, is lost on us because, man, we are like, it's just before our eyes and flowing through our ears and our minds all the time. The outrage and the, the, the putting down and on all of these things. But what Jesus is not saying here is that you're blessed when someone disagrees with you. It's not what he says. It's, it's not blessed are you, uh, blessed are you are persecuted for Pete's sake or disagreement's sake or, or argument's sake or, or, or whatever. What is it that he says? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so he clearly states here, Jesus states here, that there is blessing and there is promise for those who experience persecution for the sake of righteousness. And so regardless of all the things that we typically attach to what righteousness is, we sadly don't often connect it with what is most obvious and most immediate, and that's the other Beatitudes. That's the Beatitudes that lead right up to it. And so, man, when we hear persecution, we think, man, I'm being persecuted for the disagreement. I'm being persecuted for for this or for that. And yes, can you be treated poorly and can you be treated unfairly in situations? Yes. Is that the persecution that Jesus is talking about? I don't think so. I don't think so. Not that there's not space for that. There's not room for that. There's not room to feel kind of like you're, you're, you're on the margins if you're, just, if you're mistreated. But he's saying that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And so we could get lost today in all the noble things that we're for 
and all, the, all the, the bad things that we're against, but I think what Jesus is wanting us to see most urgently and most immediately is what he has said leading up to this. And if we think, so if you're like, well, what are those things? The Beatitudes, I'm talking about the Beatitudes. I'm talking about what he has said, verses one through nine, up to verse 10. And so if we think about each of these things that Jesus has, has just said, hey, we'll soon realize, based on our own experiences as human beings in a broken world, we'll soon realize that embracing and embodying these kingdom characteristics, hey, they're very much often things that are not popular. They're very much often things that are liable to cause us to experience persecution. So think about it. Let's look at what Jesus said. Those who are poor in spirit, those who are humble rather than arrogant and pretentious, that those who, who mourn over their sin, which is we kind of established that this is, we think, primarily a mourning over sin and not just a grief because of something that we've lost, but a mourning over our sin rather than boasting about our sin around the water cooler. Like, you know how that goes, right? Like, to fit in, you gotta, you gotta boast about your sin. And if not, for righteousness sake, you may be persecuted. Think about it. Those who are meek rather than one who is verbose or quarrelsome. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Those who are merciful rather than vengeful. Those who are pure in heart, not just in their external actions, but in their heart who desire to submit their lives to Jesus. Those who are peacemakers. Hey, these are those who are often persecuted. It is when we pursue these things, it is when we, when we live from who we are as kingdom citizens that we are at odds with the world. Because none of these things that Jesus just stated are things that align with the values of the world, are they? None of them are things that, that the world just comes up with. And so if we believe that what Jesus is stating here is a, is, is a vision and, a, and essentially a mosaic of a kingdom citizen, and that this is what a kingdom citizen embodies... This is what's true of a follower of Jesus, then, then these are not things that are true of a natural man. Hey, we're not just talking about good character qualities here, y'all. Like, we need to establish that. We're not just talking about good character qualities. We're not talking about the lost person who shows mercy, who happens to show mercy, who that's not what Jesus is speaking of. Now, is a lost person who shows mercy maybe someone who's noble and worth emulating? Sure. But Jesus is talking about one who's been transformed by the mercy and the grace of God here. These aren't just character qualities. These are fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so to the natural world, these things are not really acceptable. These things, these peacemaking, this being merciful, this poor in spirit, this pure in heart, these are, this is not the message that the world will tell you. This is not the things that the, that the world will encourage. And so as church, there are certainly many things for which we can experience persecution. But if our desire, I think within the context of what Jesus is teaching, if our desire for righteousness starts from a place primarily desiring to be at odds with the world rather than the way that our Savior is first looking at us and calling us to live, we may be missing the point. You, you know, see what I'm saying there? Do, do, do you understand what I'm, Jordan, do you understand what I'm saying here? That, that, sorry, I have to just kind of like in, involve because I don't even know if I understand what I'm saying here. What, what's really important is that Jesus in his Beatitudes and in this sermon, what his, he's, the, way that I've heard, the way that I've heard Kevin say it is, is Jesus is, is desiring to build a kind of people. He's desiring for a kind of distinct people in the world. 
And our goal so much is not to go running after every opportunity of persecution. What our goal is, is that we would frame and orient our lives around what Jesus has called us to be. And at a natural outwork, what I think, a natural outworking of this kind of kingdom citizen will be, it will be something that certainly leads to persecution. That if we pursue this kind of righteousness, that if we pursue this kind of obedience and right living in relation to God, the world, we will be at odds with the world. And so here's what a natural question for us to ask. What does persecution look like? Well, I think persecution can take on many forms. We have, I think we have two dangerous tendencies as people. And you've probably heard these, especially over the last couple of years. I think we have two dangerous ten- tendencies. One being to call all opposition persecution. That every, that every opposition that you face is on being persecuted for the name of Jesus. No, you might be being opposed because you're being con- cantankerous. <laughs> the way my grandma would say it. Maybe you're facing opposition because you're, you are, as, as uh, Paul talks to Titus, you're quarrelsome. Paul says that an elder, and by the way, that's applicable to non-elders as well, should not be quarrelsome. We should not seek quarrels. We should not go looking for a fight. We should not go looking for persecution underneath every rock. And so these two dangerous tendencies is one, calling all opposition persecution, and the other danger is, is, is to diminish others' experiences with persecution, or maybe even to diminish our own experiences with persecution. And so I'm of the mind, I'm of the mind, I, I don't know if this is right. Again, this is why I tell you at the beginning, weigh everything that I say against the word of God, but, but I see what James says in the, book, in, in, his book, in the book of James, James chapter one, when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. And so I think that's particularly in the context of suffering, like living a life, of, of living a life where suffering is inevitable. And so what, the way that, that, that I think we can understand count all joys when you face, tri, count all joy when you face trials of various kinds is that, hey, my suffering may not look like your suffering. Hey, my, my dad, I think I've said this before, my dad's a pastor. He, um, he says, don't make, uh, how does he say it? Don't make fun of puppy love because it's real to the puppy. Suffering is kind of the same way. And I don't mean to, to demean or diminish. It's not, it's not what I'm not calling you guys puppies or anything like that. But for my children, man, when they're going through something really hard and challenging in their own lives, it's easy for me to look at what they're going through and be like, man, that's really insignificant compared to what I'm dealing with, right? And we do that a lot with suffering. We weigh suffering. And so persecution, I think we're in the same danger. We, we have one idea of persecution in our mind, and if it doesn't look like that, then no, you must only be being opposed because you're being a jerk. Or you must only be being opposed because of this. You can't face opposition here. And so I'm of the mind, again, that persecution is persecution. And that James, count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds, applies here. And so what that means on an application level is that we here in America, we may not be experiencing persecution in the brutal ways that other parts of the world are, but family, if you haven't noticed that if you don't confess certain cultural creeds, that if you don't confess certain, adopt certain sexual ethics, that if you don't practice some sort of cultural righteousness, then you very much are reviled. You are reviled, 
You are persecuted and evil is uttered against you if you do not adopt and embrace these things for righteousness sake. Now, is there a way to, to, to only be like, to see a fight and to run straight into the fight? Yes. Some of, some of us are in danger of just seeing a fight and running straight into a fight and not really having the heart that Jesus is calling us to have. And so Jesus wants this to flow from us, to flow from a, from a heart, a pureness. And that's why we can't separate what Jesus is saying here from the other Beatitudes, that we are pure in heart, that we have a, a pureness of heart, not just our actions, but that we have a, a pureness of heart. And so here's the deal, y'all. You will face persecution. Like, I don't know if, if you know this yet, and I'm not like one of those fear tactic guys where, you know, I'm gonna, breaking news, you know, when you watch, when you watch news, like every commercial break, when it comes back, breaking news. You know, it's like breaking news has completely lost its, lost its oomph because everything is breaking news. I'm not one of those guys that tries to, to fear tactic us, but I'm just gonna tell you this, y'all. For righteousness sake, if you desire to follow Jesus, if you desire to, to, to submit your life to him, and, and we, could, we could list a, a host of different things, but right now I will tell you that this culture is very much set up in opposition to the design of God. And that's, that's the truth. That's the, that's the stated truths of many of these places that are after God's design. And so we must... We must also ask not only what does persecution look like, but what does persecution for righteousness sake look like? And so this could launch us into a whole other sermon, but I wanna just say from here that it begins with submission to Jesus. What does it look like to be persecuted for righteousness? What does it look like to pursue righteousness? Well, first and foremost, I think it looks like to submit ourselves and our lives to Jesus. Like, like we talked about last week, Jesus is the only one in your entire life that you'll ever experience who is totally worth saying yes to without any further explanation. You can say yes to Jesus and he doesn't owe you anything. If you say yes to me, like I'm gonna have to try to like, I gotta get out my inner salesman and tell you why you should follow me. Jesus is the one who can say, hey, follow me. And you can say, I don't know where we're going, but I'm going, you know? That's what we see in his disciples. And so, it starts with submission to Jesus, and here's, what it also, here's where it also goes. It, it's also submission to what he has revealed to us in his word. Like, you wanna know what God's will is for your life? Open, open the word, open the scriptures, and he has revealed to us what his will for our lives is. And I'll, by the way, let me just, let me just kind of like, the, the, the next church that you see like with a 10-week series on like what's God will, what, what God, God's will for your life is, that's super helpful. Let me just give you like the spoiler. God's will for your life is that you would be more like Jesus. That's his will. And so if you're trying to, if you're trying to figure out what direction you need to go in life, if you're like up against it in life and you're like, man, what is God's will? Like you're not gonna turn over a leaf and God's not gonna send an airplane up in, the, up in the clouds and write something there for you. His will is that you would be like Christ. And so you have freedom in your life to choose what you do and where you go, as long as you can, with a good conscience, say, that's gonna make me more like Christ, or no, that's gonna push me away. That's gonna cause me to drift from Christ. That was one of the most freeing messages that I heard when I was considering where to go to college, when I was considering where to go to college, where I was considering, when I was considering where to work. There's free, God says, hey, work where you want. 
But will you be more like Jesus in this space? Or is there something about this space that will push you more and more away from who I am? And if that's the case, don't do it. Isn't that, is that freeing to anybody? <laughs> that we have freedom in that? And so I just, wanna, I just wanna say, and I want us to, to realize that what Jesus is teaching here in this text, it was so impactful It was so profound and it was so authoritative that these things are what I believe marked the apostles in the early church, these beatitudes. Hey, and by the way, on the the topic of persecution, you know that that there's also things, like I know I've kind of, I've I've appealed to, to, to one very relevant side of the persecution that we experience, but you also know that that there's certain things that, that we can also be for that will also bring persecution. Remember when we talked about Matthew 7, we talked about the authority of Jesus and we talked about how we have allowed too much of the, like not, the, the, the culture is not who we are necessarily at war with. The Bible tells us that. We're not at war with flesh and blood, but against principalities. All of those things, that's, that's who we're at war with. And so, so yes, while the culture, while Satan uses the culture, oftentimes within the church, we allow the culture to define what we're for too. So let me just say it, the, the, the idea of justice. Hey, I know, I know people in the, in, in, in the church that are very committed to, to ministry of mercy and of justice and, and serving the marginalized and the poor, and, and we've allowed cultural voices to, 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 to frame our viewpoint of that kind of person as just this kind of social justice warrior, when no, it's, it's what the Bible calls us to do is to serve the poor, to love the marginalized, to welcome the the outsider, to welcome those from foreign places. And so I've seen people persecuted for for seeking righteousness in those areas. And so let's allow, again, some of you are already uncomfortable. Let Let me just say this. Allow the word of God to be what shapes your heart and your mind, not the outrage not the outrage, not the, the latest talking point, not the, not, the, not the confirmation bias that you need or anything like that. Allow the word to be what shapes your hearts and your mind. And bless, and Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And so these beatitudes, again, they were so impactful, so profound, so authoritative that these things, I mean, the, the apostles took them and they reigned with them. They said, yeah, we are going to embody mercy because that's what our savior is. We are going to embody making peace because that's what our savior has done for us. Yes, we're going to embody a a meekness because Jesus came not with a sword. Jesus came not wiping all out our enemies. He came and he gave his life. And so we will give our life too. So righteousness and obedience certainly contains more than what Jesus names here. So we've talked about how this relates to the Beatitudes, but Jesus is not giving us the extent of what obedience looks like. But church, obedience and discipleship isn't less than what Jesus has established. Jesus said, foundationally, this is what marks disciples as distinct in the world, these Beatitudes. But Jesus will go on to teach. There's more. There's there's more that he teaches us and reveals to us. And so the Beatitudes come to an end and they end in the way they began where it says here in verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is, in, this is intentional and profound because just as, as simply as I can put it, man, I think this is the goal. Like I know that we, again, we talk about like, hey, a relationship with Christ isn't all about heaven. 
it's all about here, but can I just say, like, heaven's gonna, it's pretty sweet. Like, heaven's a, something we should look forward to. Being with Jesus for all of eternity is something that we should absolutely look forward to. And I think Jesus is, Jesus is kind of enforce, reinforcing that when he opens the Beatitudes and when he closes the Beatitudes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the one who, theirs is, theirs are who will spend eternity with Jesus. And so we, I don't, the kingdom of heaven is a very, very vast concept that Jesus, I promise, will talk more about in the book of Matthew. And so then I think we see a shift in verse 11. So if verse 10 is kind of what we believe is the, it's kind of the bookend to the Beatitudes, we, we do see a shift. And so if, if Jesus is laying out in a general way in the Beatitudes what it looks like for a follower of Jesus to live in submission to him within his kingdom in the Beatitudes, then it seems that in verses 11 and 12, it's almost like Jesus turns his attention in verses 11 and 12. We don't know this for sure, but it seems like Jesus is teaching the multitudes in the Beatitudes. There's a lot of, there's what we think, there's, there's many different groups of people here, at least in earshot. And then in verse 11 and 12, do you see? It's no, it's no, longer, blessed are, it's, it's no longer blessed are those, or blessed are they, or blessed are the, it is blessed are you. Jesus seems to turn his attention and focus in directly on his disciples, maybe. Blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so in these verses, Jesus just continues his teaching. Remember, there's more to what he has just said and established, but there's not less to a kingdom citizen than, the, than these Beatitudes. And so in verses 11 and 12, Jesus, one, tells them how they will suffer, and two, how they are to respond in their suffering. That's what we see here in verses 11 and 12, and we're, we're, we're wrapping up with this. So in what way will the disciples of Jesus experience persecution? Verse 11 says, well, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So in what way will they, will they experience persecution? They will be reviled there will be evil utterances against them, and there will be falsehoods. People will say things about the disciples that are not true. They will call them names. We may experience this some today. They will call them names because they don't align with what they, their vision for these people are. And so there's falsehoods. There's evil utterances. There's reviling. And again, the, the, scriptures, the rest of the scriptures are... are filled with examples of this. And if we had time, we'd study that. But not today, but look then at what Jesus says next. And if you think Jesus has been offensive up to this point, just, just wait. Verse 12. So again, first he said how they will suffer. And then secondly is how are they to respond? Well, here's how they are to respond. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Man, hey, you know that in the end they killed Jesus, right? So he's saying things that people don't like. And I would imagine, at least at some level, there's some people in the crowd like sitting on their hands starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. Wait, rejoice and be glad when we're persecuted? Aren't you the, aren't you the one who's supposed to come and deliver us from this? And you're not only not accomplishing that in the way that we thought, but you're telling us to be glad? <laughs> telling us to be glad in it? We are not glad in it. We are very sad in it. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Man, we could spend so much time here. 
but I just want to highlight the way that the rest of scriptures show us the way that the disciples responded to this. The disciples understood these words from Jesus as a command. The disciples understood what Jesus says here as a command. Hey, when you're persecuted, this is how you are to respond. Paul reinforces this. Rejoice. And then he says, again, I'll say it, rejoice. Paul says, I've learned in every situation, every circumstance, to be content, to rejoice. And so the disciples understood these words from Jesus as a command, as a prescription for how they ought to endure what Jesus says they will endure. And as sure as they went on to face persecution, they also went on to obey Jesus and how they responded to that persecution. They were obedient to him, not only unto death, but obedient in how they died. They rejoiced. In fact, we read this morning in our call to worship, Acts 5.40. We won't read that whole section, but let me, let's just read this. Acts 5, chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles... The apostles, so those who were with Jesus, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council, what? Rejoicing, Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So they were obedient to Jesus unto death in the midst of beatings and persecutions and falsehoods and reviling and evil utterances against them. Not only that, they, 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 the way that they received, the way that they processed what they received was with joy. And I can't even begin to understand this. Hey, this is, this is where we are limited. Even in the persecution that we do face as American people in 2022, we, we at least have been preserved from that. And so there is a level that we do not yet know of, man, if it came to that, would we count following Jesus? Would we count the beatings worthy of following and being named with Jesus? And by the way, if you think this is just limited to, to the disciples and, 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 and the early people, no, this is how the church has acted throughout the centuries. Read the, the stories of the martyrs. Read the stories of the people through the first, second, third, fourth centuries, all the way up of those who obeyed the commands of Jesus here, who took the words of Jesus' comfort and obeyed him, and they rejoiced in what they did. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Go read that. And see that these faithful saints throughout the ages, they looked to their King Jesus and they said, we will submit ourselves to him and his way and we will be faithful even unto the end. And so then Jesus goes on after he says this really shocking rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. He goes on at the end of the verse and says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hey, there's obviously something very impactful and validating to the disciples in this fact that the prophets were also persecuted. I think that's why Jesus adds it. Hey, they knew who the prophets were, and, and Jesus connects what they're going to experience with what the prophets experienced. And so I'm not exactly sure how this would have been received by the disciples, but I imagine that at least the intent of Jesus was to assure these disciples 
that the mission of God will not fail despite persecution. He takes them back to the prophets and said, hey, the prophets, they, they gave their lives, they died, they obeyed Jesus, but, or they obeyed, they obeyed God, but look where we are today. And so, I, again, I don't know how that was received, but, but, it, but, but at least the intent of Jesus may have been to comfort them with the fact, when you experience this, don't worry. The mission of God will go forth. It will not die. By the way, this brings weight to Jesus' words later in Matthew 16, that I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so let's not only focus on the commands of Christ here, but also in his promise here in verse 12. He says, for your reward is great in heaven. Y'all, I don't know what all this means and how exactly we ought to understand rewards. Obviously, it shows up a lot in the Bible, and we're just not preaching on that today, maybe someday. Maybe we'll call somebody else to preach it, because I just don't know how to preach it. So I don't know how we ought, exactly how we ought to understand rewards and what that looks like. I know, that at some, we, I know that at some level, we probably impose our own ideas of earthly rewards into heaven. And that's probably not what God's talking, Jesus is talking about. Maybe, I don't know. But what I will say, that if Jesus says that there's a reward that awaits us, it's going to be incredible. That's what you can be sure of. Whatever it is. Hey, it could be a, like it can be a package of ramen noodles, ramen noodles, and it will be the greatest reward you've ever experienced because Jesus says your reward is great because it's not about the gift, it's about the giver. It's about the one who gives, it's about the one who blesses, it's about the one who gives us grace, it's not about the gift. It's about the one who gives it to us. And if Jesus says there's a reward, first of all, there's a reward, And second of all, it's gonna be awesome. And so whatever we hope or think about reward, if Jesus promises it, it will be better than we could ever imagine. We can't even begin to wrap our minds around this. And I just, I do tend to think that what the reward is, man, is just the the presence of God. Just a well done, good and faithful servant. The presence of God, that's at least a major part of it. And so let's not be so wrapped up with the reward or the gift that we miss the giver. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and we thank you for your promises to us. We thank you for the saints and the, the disciples and the, those who have so faithfully followed you and obeyed you throughout the centuries, Lord. We, we are here today. We are here in this moment at this address comfortably worshiping you and and praising you and learning from your word because of the obedience and the faithfulness of the early disciples through the early church and through saints throughout the, the millennia. We are here today because of that. And so may we be faithful. May you reveal to us the parts of our own lives, the areas of our of our hearts that we're, we're holding on to, um, that we've not fully submitted ourselves to you. Lord, would you help us? Would you, would you send your spirit and illumine within us those, those dark areas, those dark places? And would you give us the faith? We know that faith itself is a gift. Would you give us the faith that when those things are revealed to us, that we would 
we would cry out in humility. They would cry out and surrender and say, Lord, my life is yours. My life is yours. So help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us more than anything to be fully committed to you and to your will for our lives. We love you and we thank you so much for what you have accomplished for us. We thank you so much for this table that we get to approach this morning to be, to be reminded of, the, of the, the gift that we've been given and the sacrifice of your son. And so may we receive it gladly, may we receive it humbly, and may we receive it um, confident in what you've accomplished and expectant in what you promise that we will one day share this meal with you. Help us and um, strengthen us and build us this morning in your name. Amen.